chapter thirty one of the garys and their friends by frank webb this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter thirty one the thorn rankles we left the quiet town of sudbury snow-clad and sparkling in all the glory of a frosty moonlight night we now return to it and discover it decked out in its bravest summer garniture a short distance above the hill upon which it is built the water of the river that glides along its base may be seen springing over the low dam that obstructs its passage sparkling glistening dancing in the sunlight as it falls splashing on the stones below and then as though subdued by the fall and crash it comes murmuring on stopping now and then to whirl and eddy round some rock or protruding stump and at last glides gently under the arch of the bridge seemingly to pause beneath its shadow and ponder upon its recent tumble from the heights above seated here and there upon the bridge are groups of boys rod in hand endeavouring with the most delicious-looking and persuasive of baits to inveigle finny innocence from the cool depths below the windows of the mills are all thrown open and now and then the voices of some operatives singing at their work steal forth in company with the whir and hum of the spindles and mingle with the splash of the waterfall and the united voices of nature industry and man harmonize their swelling tones or go floating upward on the soft july air houses upon the hill side seem to be endeavouring to extricate themselves from bowers of full-leafed trees and with their white fronts relieved by the light green blinds look cool and inviting in the distance high above them all as though looking down in pride upon the rest stands the academy ennobled in the course of years by the addition of extensive wings and a row of stately pillars on the whole the town looked charmingly peaceful and attractive and appeared just the quiet nook that a weary worker in cities would select as a place of retirement after a busy round of toils or pleasure there were little knots of idlers gathered about the railroad station as there always is in quiet towns not that they expect any one but that the arrival and departure of the train is one of the events of the day and those who have nothing else particular to accomplish feel constrained to be on hand to witness it every now and then one of them would look down the line and wonder why the cars were not in sight among those seemingly the most impatient was miss adabel who looked but little older than when she won the heart of the orphan clarence years before by that kind kiss upon his childish brow it was hers still she bounded to her by long years of affectionate care almost equally in its sacrificing tenderness that which a mother would have bestowed upon her only child clarence her adopted son had written to her that he was wretched heart-sore and ill and longed to come to her his almost mother for sympathy advice and comfort so she with yearning heart was there to meet him at last the faint scream of the steam-whistle was heard 
and soon the lumbering locomotive came puffing and snorting on its iron path dashing on as though it could never stop and making the surrounding hills echo with the unearthly scream of its startling whistle and arousing to desperation every dog in the quiet little town at last it stopped and stood giving short and impatient snorts and hisses whilst the passengers were alighting clarence stepped languidly out and was soon in the embrace of miss ada my dear boy how thin and pale you look she exclaimed come get into the carriage never mind your baggage george will look after that your hands are hot very hot you must be feverish yes aunt ada for so he had insisted on his calling her i'm ill sick in heart mind and everything cut up the horses said he with slight impatience of manner let us get home quickly when i get in the old parlour and let you bathe my head as you used to i'm sure i shall feel better i'm almost exhausted from fatigue and heat very well then dear don't talk now she replied not in the least noticing his impatience of manner when you are rested and have had your tea will be time enough they were soon in the old house and clarence looked round with a smile of pleasure on the room where he had spent so many happy hours good aunt ada would not let him talk but compelled him to remain quiet until he had rested himself and eaten his evening meal he had altered considerably in the lapse of years there was but little left to remind one of the slight melancholy-looking boy that once stood a heavy-hearted little stranger in the same room in days gone by his face was without a particle of red to relieve its uniform paleness his eyes large dark and languishing were half hidden by unusually long lashes his forehead broad and surmounted with clustering raven hair a glossy moustache covered his lip and softened down its fullness on the whole he was strikingly handsome and none would pass him without a second look tea over miss ada insisted that he should lie down upon the sofa again while she sat by and bathed his head have you seen your sister lately she asked no aunt ada he answered hesitatingly whilst a look of annoyance darkened his face for a moment i've not been to visit her since last fall almost a year oh clarence how can you remain so long away said she reproachfully well i can't go there with any comfort or pleasure he answered ap apologetically i can't go there each year as i visit the place their ways seem more strange and irksome to me whilst enjoying her company i must of course come in familiar contact with those by whom she is surrounded sustaining the position that i do passing as i am for a white man i am obliged to be very circumspect and have often been compelled to give her pain by avoiding many of her dearest friends when i have encountered them in public places because of their complexion i feel mean and cowardly whilst i am doing it but it is necessary i can be white and coloured at the same time the two don't mingle and i must consequently be one of the other my education habits and ideas all unfit me for associating with the latter and i live in constant dread that something may occur to bring me out with the former i don't avoid coloured people because i esteem them my inferiors in refinement education or intelligence but because they are subjected to degradations that i shall be compelled to share by too freely associating with them it is a pity continued he with a sigh that i was not suffered to grow up with them then i should have learnt to bear their burdens 
and in the course of time might have walked over my path of life bearing the load almost unconsciously now it would crush me i know it was a great mistake to place me in my present false position concluded he bitterly it has cursed me only a day ago i had a letter from m reproaching me for my coldness yet god help me what am i to do miss ada looked at him sorrowfully and continued smoothing down his hair and inundating his temples with cologne at last she ventured to inquire how do matters progress with you miss bates clary you have lost your heart there too true he replied hurriedly and what is more little birdie i call her little birdie has lost hers too aunt ada we are engaged with her parents consent she asked yes with her parents consent we are to be married in the coming winter then they know all of course they know you are colored observed she they know all cried he starting up who said they did who told them tell me that i say who has dared to tell them i am a colored man hush clarence hush replied she attempting to soothe him i do not know that any one has informed them i only inferred so from your saying you were engaged i thought you had informed them yourself don't you remember you wrote that you should and i took it for granted that you had oh yes yes so i did i fully intended to but found myself too great a coward i dare not i cannot risk losing her i am fearful that if she knew it she would throw me off for ever perhaps not clarence if she loves you as she should and even if she did would it not be better that she should know it now than have it discovered afterwards and you both be rendered miserable for life no no aunt ada i cannot tell her it must remain a secret until after our marriage then if they find it out it will be to their interest to smooth the matter over and keep quiet about it clary clary that is not honourable i know it but how can i help it once or twice i thought of telling her but my heart always failed me at the critical moment it would kill me to lose her oh i love her aunt ada said he passionately love her with all the energy and strength of my father's race and all the doting tenderness of my mother's i could have told her long ago before my love had grown to its present towering strength but craft set a seal upon my lips and bid me be silent until her heart was fully mine and then nothing could part us yet now even when sure of her affections the dread that her love would not stand the test compels me to shrink more than ever from the disclosure but clarence you are not acting generously i know your conscience does not approve your actions don't i know that he answered almost fiercely yet i dare not tell i must shut this secret in my bosom where it gnaws 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 until it has almost eaten my heart away oh i've thought of that time and again it has kept me awake night after night it haunts me at all hours it is breaking down my health and strength wearing my very life out of me no escaped galley slave ever felt more than i do or lived in more constant fear of detection and yet i must nourish this tormenting secret and keep it growing in my breast until it has crowded out every honourable and manly feeling and then perhaps after all my sufferings and sacrifice of candour and truth out it will come at last when i least expect or think of it aunt ada could not help weeping and exclaimed commiseratingly my poor poor boy as he strode up and down the room the whole family except her seem to have the deepest contempt for coloured people they are constantly making them a subject of bitter jests they appear to have no more feeling or regard for them than if they were brutes and i continued he i 
miserable contemptible false-hearted knave as i am ay ay yes i join them in their heartless jest and wonder all the while my mother does not rise from her grave and curse me as i speak oh clarence clarence my dear child cried the terrified aunt ada you talk deliriously you have brooded over this until it has almost made you crazy come here sit down and seizing him by the arm she drew him on the sofa beside her and began to bathe his hot head with the cologne again let me walk aunt ada said he after a few moments let me walk i feel better whilst i am moving i can't bear to be quiet and forthwith he commenced riding up and down the room again with nervous and hurried steps after a few moments he burst out again it seems as if fresh annoyances and complications beset me every day m writes me that she is engaged i was in hopes that after i had married i could persuade her to come and live with me and so gradually break off her connection with colored people but that hope is extinguished now she is engaged to a colored man aunt ada could see no remedy for this new difficulty and could only say indeed i thought something of the kind would occur when i was last at home and spoke to her on the subject but she evaded giving me any definite answer i think she was afraid to tell me she has written asking my consent and will you give it asked aunt ada it will matter but little if i don't m has a will of her own and i have no means of coercing her besides i have no reasonable objection to urge it would be folly in me to oppose it simply because he is a colored man for what am i myself the only difference is that his identity with colored people is no secret and he is not ashamed of it whilst i conceal my origin and live in constant dread that some one may find it out when clarence had finished he continued to walk up and down the room looking very careworn and gloomy miss bell remained on the sofa thoughtfully regarding him at last she rose up and took his hand in hers as she used to do when he was a boy and walking beside him said the more i reflect upon it the more necessary i regard it that you should tell this girl and her parents your real position before you marry her throw away concealment make a clean breast of it you may not be rejected when they find her heart is so deeply interested if you marry her with this secret hanging over you it will embitter your life make you reserved suspicious and consequently ill-tempered and destroy all your domestic happiness let me persuade you tell them ere it be too late suppose it reached them through some other source what would they then think of you who else would tell them who else knows it you you said he suspiciously you would not betray me i thought you loved me aunt ada clarence my dear boy she rejoined apparently hurt by his hasty and accusing tone you will mistake me i have no such intention if they are never to learn it except through me your secret is perfectly safe yet i must tell you that i feel and think that the true way to promote her happiness in your own is for you to disclose to them your real position and throw yourself upon their generosity for the result clarence pondered for a long time over miss bell's advice which she again and again repeated placing it each time before him in a stronger light until at last she extracted from him a promise that he would do it i know you are right aunt ada said he i am convinced of that it is a question of courage with me i know it would be more honourable for me to tell her now i'll try to do it i will make an effort and summon up the courage necessary god be my helper that's a dear boy she exclaimed kissing him affectionately i know you will feel happier when it is all over and even if she should break her engagement you will be infinitely better off 
than if it was fulfilled and your secret subsequently discovered come now she concluded i am going to exert my old authority and send you to bed to-morrow perhaps you may see this in a more hopeful light two days after this clarence was again in new york amid the heat and dust of that crowded bustling city soon after his arrival he dressed himself and started for the mansion of mr bates trembling as he went for the result of the communication he was about to make once on the way he paused for the thought had occurred to him that he would write to them then reproaching himself for his weakness and timidity he started on again with renewed determination i'll see her myself he soliloquized i'll tell little birdie all and know my fate from her own lips if i must give her up i'll know the worst from her when clarence was admitted he would not permit himself to be announced but walked tiptoe upstairs and gently opening the drawing-room door entered the room standing by the piano turning over the leaves of some music and merrily humming an air was a young girl of extremely petite and delicate form her complexion was strikingly fair and the rich curls of dark auburn that fell in clusters on her shoulders made it still more dazzling by the contrast presented her eyes were grey inclining to black her features small and not over-remarkable for their symmetry yet by no means disproportionate there was the sweetest of dimples on her small round chin and her throat white and clear as the finest marble the expression of her face was extremely childlike she seemed more like a schoolgirl than a young woman of eighteen on the eve of marriage there was something deliriously airy and fairy-like in her motions and as she slightly moved her feet in time to the music she was humming her thin blue dress floated about her and undulated in harmony with her graceful motions after gazing at her for a few moments clarence called gently little birdie she gave a timid joyous little cry of surprise and pleasure and fluttered into his arms oh clary love how you startled me i did not dream there was any one in the room it was so naughty in you said she childishly as he pushed back the curls from her face and kissed her when did you arrive only an hour ago he answered and you came here at once ah that was so lover-like and kind she rejoined smiling you look like a sylph to-night anne said he as she danced about him ah he continued and regarding her for a few seconds with a look of intense admiration you want to rivet my chains the tighter you look most bewitching why are you so much dressed to-night jewels sash and satin slippers he continued are you going out no clary she answered i was to have gone to the theatre but just at the last moment i decided not to a singular desire to stay at home came over me suddenly i had an instinctive feeling that i should lose some greater enjoyment if i went so i remained at home and here love are you but what is the matter you look sad and weary i am a little fatigued said he seating himself and holding her hand in his a little weary but that will soon wear off and as for the sadness concluded he with a forced smile that must depart now that i am with you little birdie i feel relieved that you have returned safe and well said she looking up into his face from her seat beside him for clary love i had such a frightful dream such a singular dream about you i've endeavoured to shake it out of my foolish little head but it won't go clary i can't get rid of it it occurred after you left us at saratoga oh it was nothing though said she laughing and shaking her curls nothing and now you are safely returned i shall not think of it again tell me what you have seen since you went away and how is that dear aunt ada of yours you talk so much about oh she is quite well 
answered he but tell anne tell me about that dream what was it bertie come tell me i don't care to she answered with a slight shudder i don't want to love yes yes do sweet importuned he i want to hear it then if i must said she i will i dreamed that you and i were walking on a road together and twas such a beautiful road with flowers and fruit and lovely cottages on either side i thought you held my hand i felt it just as plain as i clasp yours now presently a rough ugly man overtook us and bid you let me go and that you refused and held me all the tighter then he gave you a diabolical look and touched you on the face and you broke out in loathsome black spots and screamed in such agony and frightened me so that i awoke all in a shiver of terror and did not get over it all the next day clarence clutched her hand tighter as she finished so tight indeed that she gave a little scream of pain and looked frightened at him what is the matter she inquired your hand is like ice and you are paler than ever you haven't let that trifling dream affect you so it is nothing i am superstitious in regard to dreams said clarence wiping the perspiration from his forehead go he asked faintly play me an air love something quick and lively to dispel this i wish you had not told me but you begged me to said she pouting as she took her seat at the instrument how ominous muttered he became covered with black spots that is a foreshadowing how can i tell her he thought it seems like wilfully destroying my own happiness and he sat struggling with himself to obtain the necessary courage to fulfil the purpose of his visit and became so deeply engrossed with his own reflections as to scarcely even hear the sound of the instrument it is too bad she cried as she ceased playing here i have performed some of your favourite airs and that too without eliciting a word of commendation you are inexpressibly dull to-night nothing seems to enliven you what is the matter oh rejoined he abstractedly am i i was not aware of it yes you are said little bertie pettishly nothing seems to engage your attention and skipping off to the table she took up the newspaper and exclaimed let me read you something very curious no no dear anne dear interrupted he sit here by me i want to say something serious to you something of moment to us both then it's something very grave and dull i know she remarked for that is the way people always begin now i don't want to hear anything serious to-night i want to be merry you look serious enough and if you begin to talk seriously you'll be perfectly unbearable you must hear what i am going to read to you first and the little tyrant put her finger on his lip and looked so bewitching that he could not refuse her and the important secret hung on his lips but was not spoken listen said she spreading out the paper before her and running her tiny finger down the column ah i have it she exclaimed at last and began we learn from unimpeachable authority that the honourable man named who represents a district of our city in the state legislature was yesterday united to the quadroon daughter of the late gustave almont she is said to be possessed of a large fortune inherited from her father and they propose going to france to reside a sensible determination as after such a mesalliance the honourable gentleman can no longer expect to retain his former social position in our midst new orleans watchman isn't it singular she remarked that a man in his position should make such a choice he loved her no doubt suggested clarence and she was almost white how could he love her asked she wonderingly love a coloured woman i cannot conceive it possible said she with a look of disgust there is something strange and unnatural about it no no he rejoined hurriedly it was love and pure love it is not impossible i i am coloured 
he would have said but he paused and looked full in her lovely face he could not tell her the words slunk back into his coward heart unspoken she stared at him in wonder and perplexity and exclaimed dear clarence how strangely you act i am afraid you are not well your brow is hot said she laying her hand on his forehead you have been travelling too much for your strength it is not that he replied i feel a sense of suffocation as if all the blood was rushing to my throat let me get the air and he rose and walked to the window and hastened and brought him a glass of water of which he drank a little and then declared himself better after this he stood for long with her clasped in his arms then giving her one or two passionate kisses he strained her closer to him and abruptly left the house leaving little birdie startled and alarmed by his strange behaviour chapter thirty one